0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Caspar. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, a six-part documentary series debuting on HBO, is based on the best-selling book of the same name and explores Writer Michelle McNamara's investigation of the dark world of of a violent predator dubbed the Golden State Killer, a timely inquiry into the macabre preoccupation with true crime and a precautionary tale of the dangerous lure of addiction. The story is a riveting meditation on obsession and loss, chronicling the unrelenting path of a mysterious killer and the fierce determination of one woman to bring the case to light. And that is truly what this is about. The I'll Be Gone in the Dark is a wonderful documentary series running on HBO. As I mentioned, we're coming up on episode four and there's more to come. So please, you want to stick around for the entire series. We're joined today by the producer as well as one of the directors of this wonderful series. And that would be Elizabeth Wolf. Elizabeth Wolf, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you, Mike, for having me.
0: Thank you so much. Well, um... Uh, Tell me a little about how you got involved in this uh, in this documentary film. You have a background in documentary series production, but tell me a little bit about how how this came about.
1: Um, Yeah, I have a background in um, in news and in TV documentaries. You know, Liz and I um, got to sort of know each other a little bit during her work on The Fourth Estate because we were both producing series out of radical media. And so when this came around, um, I knew right off the bat that I was really eager to work with Liz and Liz reached out to me and said, how do you feel about true crime? And, and I said, you know, I um, try not to consume too much true crime and you know, it's not necessarily the place that I want to spend most of my time, it's a pretty dark place to go. And she said, okay, well, will you just read this book and um, tell me what you think? Uh, Her office sent over a copy of I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I think it was a couple of weeks after it was published in 2018 in February. And immediately I was so struck by the psychological mystery of Michelle and the way that Michelle Focused on the survivors, and I immediately, whenever I read a story as sort of a documentarian puzzler, I constantly am looking out for the different audiovisual elements. And so I'm reading this and thinking, okay, she she says this, she must have that, and it, you know, I started to piece together. Okay, there's actually a lot of archive here, and I'm an archive nut, and and so I said, you know, Liz, like I'm. I'm interested, you know, let's work on the development of this thing. And HBO, you know, had bought the rights. So it was basically we needed to propose to them, you know, how we would do this, how many episodes, what would be our approach. And, you know, we met Patton, we we did a, a little filming and on day one of filming a book event in Chicago, the Golden State Killer was captured. So as soon as that happened, it was kind of like, oh, my God, we were thrust into one of the biggest true crime stories happening. And, and, and we were sort of addicted. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm sold. I'm in it. I had gotten to know Paul Haynes and Billy Jensen and Patton. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm on this journey. And, you know, that was in April of 2018. And, you know, we were working on the project up until last Friday. So it's been a really, really uh, long, exciting
0: was it, well, it sounds like, I think you answered the question. It was always going to be a, a multi-part episodic yeah. series. And um, well, what was uh, for you and Liz Garbus, you, you mentioned the interview that you had done with Pat Noswald, or you'd filmed him uh, as part of this. Um, was there a, uh, how did you bring together all of these different elements. In in other words, there's a lot of law enforcement involved in telling of this story. Then there's also the victims themselves. What was the sort of initial cracking the door open to tell this story?
1: It was two prong. First, you have the Golden State killer story and you have the Michelle story. On at the same time, we realized, okay, we need to reach out to um, all the survivors and victims' family members. Now, that is dozens and dozens of people. And we had a really amazing team of associate producers who helped out. You know, we were able to reach out to many of the survivors, most of whom, you know, didn't want to participate. But we started off figuring out okay who would be available for interviews so every law enforcement officer that Michelle spoke to so obviously our the first people we reached out were the people that Michelle had relationships with and then we thought okay but there are other people we might want want to talk to um, in terms of the story some of the survivors that we interviewed for this series Michelle in fact did not speak with and then at the same time you know, we started this really intense effort to collect every piece of archive that we could find from Michelle and from Michelle's friends and family. And Patton was extraordinarily generous. Uh, He basically, Uh, said, okay, I got her laptops and phones, you know, where do I send them? And, you know, for him, it was too hard for him to look at this stuff. So he just said, you know, I trust you. Um, And we had to kind of go through the process of making sense of a, a writer's you know, 13 years of a digital archive. So, you know, what does that mean? Every text, every email, every draft of something. And so that we had an archival team that was logging and reading. And I mean, that was happening simultaneously. And so that research was going on. And then I think it was probably, I think it was around Halloween of 2018 that we went out and we did some of our first interviews which were with the survivors and we interviewed the survivors first and then interviewed law enforcement because from the beginning we wanted them to be the drivers of this story
0: yeah as you're recounting that part of the uh, uh, making of this i'll be gone in the dark i'm struck by how much of an of a detective story within a detective story that you just outlined for us. I mean, literally a true life obsession, not a crime certainly, but a true life obsession in terms of the making of this story. Is that Did that irony strike you at the time you were doing it? it or?
1: It, yes, it, it struck us at many points. One of the reasons why I was initially reluctant to sign on to the project was, okay, I just heard that a woman was died in the process of of investigating this story. do I necessarily want to step into her shoes and um, and pick up where she left off? Will this end well and then when we were when we were on this journey, we very much Started to refer to Michelle's archive as our mother load. And you'll see in episode four, you know, that she comes into possession of all these bankers' boxes of police files, which she dubs the mother load. And she kind of gets lost in this. And we, there were many weeks early on where we just got completely lost in her life. And you know, we had to constantly ask ourselves: okay, what is relevant to the story here? What is the story we're telling? Because a person's life is not a story. There is so much material. You couldn't even begin to use most of it.
0: Thank you for that, because that's it's absolutely true in watching this, this film, is you can tell just how far you had to go to tell the story, how much material you had to be able to pull into this story to tell it. Um, but let's go back to why we're here, All Be gone in the Dark, the story of the East area rapist the um the golden the original night stalker and then the golden state killer and and oh the visalia what was it the visalia the, the, the other visalia ransacker <laughs> i didn't even okay visalia ransacker so let's talk about the origin part of this story which is the east area rapist tell us a little bit about that part of the story
1: In Sacramento in uh, the summer of 1976, there began a series of home invasion sexual assaults that was happening in a suburban neighborhood called Rancho Cordova. And it took some months uh, before law enforcement realized that these series of home invasion rapes were connected. By about November, 1976. They realize they're connected, and suddenly the whole uh, community is is alerted that there is this serial rapist on the loose. He has a very um, typical MO. He comes in usually in the evening or while you're sleeping. He wears a mask. He says that he's there just to rob you, but then uh, it it escalates into a sort of sadistic rape, and and uh, and this is something that he is. He's attacking, you know, over the course of three years, attacking upwards of 50 people. He begins with women, and by his sixteenth, 15th or 16th attack, he's attacking couples, so he will Come, he'll watch you while you're sleeping, and often he liked to watch couples, you know, be intimate with each other, and then, you know, turn off the lights to go to sleep, and then, you know, break into the home, shine a flashlight in their eyes, and tie them up. He would put dishes on the back of the bound man and take the woman into the living room and, um, and terrorize her. And, you know, this was a real... A sick guy who who got off on terror, and then in 1979 he vanishes, and the Northern California communities that he had terrorized suddenly don't you know suddenly he's gone, and the police officers you know dance with relief, you know go back to life as usual. They stop looking for him, and little did they know that he had moved south and started attacking. Um, in Southern California, and escalates to murder.
0: Again, on the idea that people have not seen the series, it will, to this point, only a few episodes. So I'm going to stop stop the uh, that part of the story for uh, right there. And then also, this is, a I think, a way to talk about the 1970s, the 1980s, and about law enforcement's attitude towards these crimes. These were They were rapes, Uh, and you explore in "I'll Be Gone in the Dark" this idea that law enforcement didn't perceive these crimes as something that rose to the level of being taken very seriously. They were taken seriously on some level to try and find this guy. Talk a, a little bit about how, in the course of making this film, we see the law enforcement culture in regard to the treatment of the crime and also of the of the. Victim survivors of these crimes as well.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's a very good point, Mike. We were very interested from the beginning about using this story as a window into exploring the ways in which sexual assault crimes were treated in the 70s and you know how things have changed today and and perhaps not changed enough. But in the 70s, sexual assault in many jurisdictions was not even considered a felony. It was not taken seriously. Women victims were, could be compelled to go under hypnosis or see a psychiatrist. It was often sort of a, a she said, he said kind of crime. Um, most rapists were not convicted and sometimes even if they were, they would go to prison for a couple of days or a couple of months. And also the way in which law enforcement dealt with these survivors was not um, very sympathetic there was no special victims unit there was no there were very few this is This is the era of the very first female officers. And one of whom we feature in our series, Carol Daly, you know, was not on every single one of the cases, but luckily on the ones that she, she was on, she was able to accompany the survivors to the hospital. Many women did not have female law enforcement officers to, to accompany them. There was no codified procedure for dealing with sexual assault. And often the community was kind of like, all right, you'll look, good on the outside, you know, go back to work, go back to normal. And, you know, men didn't want to talk about it. Communities didn't want to talk about it. And it was really, women were really left to, you know, internalize that, that cultural shame of what had happened to them.
0: And I would take it a half a step further in, in during that era, women uh, were often portrayed in these PSA commercials as, you know, wearing clothing that would entice an assault or a rape, as somehow that they're responsible for yeah that they brought it on exactly yeah they shouldn't have worn that. So we see this in the film in in this six part documentary series, and so I, it it is about the Golden State Killer, but this film is about so much more, and I I just want to underscore that it is uh, about Michelle and her life. It's about Patton and Michelle together, the family. It's also about our culture, technology, the way that law enforcement has has advanced in the field of being able to track down people in these crimes. Uh, It's a remarkable kind of panoply of things that, that you present here. And one of the things that I found so wonderful about it is the balance in the telling of the story. We, you're able to weave these different themes together. You are you are credited as the director on the second and fifth episode. And I know we have Liz Garbus uh, also as a director and, and producer. And then we have Josh Corey and Miles. Yeah. So this team, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the teamwork involved as you articulated earlier, just a mountain of information and material to go through. Um, and I'm sure these themes were discussed in the, pro- in the, in the process of making this. this. Talk a little bit about the collaboration between all of you in making this film, because it had to be daunting on a lot of levels, but I would imagine psychologically daunting as well in, the, in doing this.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you've asked a lot of questions there,
0: I but know, I'm probably, so sorry. <laughs> I'll, um, cover a lot of ground. Certainly
1: just a little bit of the dynamic. I mean, Liz Garbus is, you know, the most prolific female documentarian working today. She is a, a dream to work with. She is, is so confident and such a, a natural leader. And in many ways that, allows her the, the ability to trust. And so she, when she brought me on, you know, Liz is working on many projects at the same time. This was my only project. And this is often the case with, you know, big directors who have lots of things going on. And, you know, so it was really great because she really gave the guardrails of what she was seeing, what she um, saw for this series. And then she, you know, allowed me to kind of go deep into this story and to come back to her and say, okay, well, here's what I've learned. This is how the story is taking shape. And she was very receptive, very trusting, And we would meet regularly to to talk about themes, to talk about our strategy for filming, to talk about our our strategy for filming the visualizations, the shadows, and that was really, um, Josh and Miles made a great film. They're they're collaborators that they've been working on as sort of co-filmmakers for their whole career and did a great film on Netflix called Voyeur about the writer Gay Talese. And they um, really approach documentary filmmaking in a very cinematic way. They have a beautiful, artistic eye, and they were always sort of prioritizing the visuals. How is this gonna look? I'm prioritizing the story, okay? The research, how are we gonna put this story together? And Liz is sort of melding this all together. And this was always, you know, we were, that, that is every step of the way involved all of that. So there were lots of story, story conversations, lots of visual conversations, everything down to how we were going to set up our interviews. You'll notice a lot of the interviews have windows in the background. Uh, early on, Josh and Miles identified in Michelle's writing this clear sort of Theme, which speaks with creature from the Black Lagoon, and there's you know so much about dark and light. And thematically, one of the things that I thought was very important to um, address in a very subtle way in the series was really the consequences of avoiding the darkness in ourselves, in our culture, and you know if you avoid. Confronting that darkness, it will consume you, it will kill you, it will eat you alive. And this is something that the survivors experience. This is Michelle is a cautionary tale. This is something that Patton experiences, the law enforcement, people we interviewed. This is a running theme that I think bridges those two parallel stories.
0: yes, absolutely I couldn't agree more they the and you mentioned the visuals you know there's there's the story as you described it there is the sort of the, the heart of the of the tale to be told and then you get these visual flourishes in this film you know the 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 the, the uh the casting of a shadow across the uh, across the yard or the, the the tape recorder unspooling, or the all these different things that are that really are the that the, the icing on this visual cake that you've presented. And uh, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed just the, uh, from a cinematic perspective, enjoyed watching the film just from enjoying the, the different things that you have in it. It, uh, again, once again, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Elizabeth Wolf. She is uh, one of the directors as well as the one of the producers of this HBO series called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And it is screening every. I believe the episodes are on are the Sunday nights. Am I good? Yes, Sunday nights Sunday at night. 10
1: p.m. Eastern. I guess 7 p.m. Pacific.
0: And we're coming up on episode four. It is a six-part series, so you will be riveted. You can go back to HBO on demand and watch the first three episodes. I want to once again say thank you to you and your entire team and. Liz has been fortunate enough to have on the show a couple of times now. And um, I'm so happy for her. I'm so happy for your work here. Uh, you will, yeah, just a terrific documentary series. And it is the wave, is this the wave of the future, Elizabeth? Is, are we going to see, it seems documentary series are just the new way to tell a documentary story.
1: What I would like to see more of is less documentary series that are just drawn out stories that don't need to be series. And what I would like to see more of is um, what HBO was able to help us with, which was to give us the bandwidth and the support to tell a, an almost a narrative style documentary, a yeah. cinematic narrative style. We could approach this like a six hour film you know, instead of like, a you know, a documentary TV show. And um, that is where I really see the difference uh, in what we were able to do over the last couple of years in this yeah. space.
0: Yeah, it feels like they're, they're, uh, these bigger companies are coming to filmmakers and saying, we need a 10-part series, as opposed to what I think you just said was, HBO said, how much time will you need to tell this story? And figuring that out and making that the the parameters for for the film so well I, I my congratulations on your work and the work of your entire team and one Thank last you. thing the editing and I want to the three editors oh, that you
1: yes let me gush about our editors we had Elise Spiegel Aaron Barnett and Jawad Metney three incredible editors um, supported by some another team of editors and they really dove into this material. This wasn't like they were given a script and you know had to figure it out. They got very close to all the original interviews, got to get their hands into everything and really help us figure out what that weave of storytelling was going to be. And they did such a remarkable job. This was really dark material you know, and, and they, they, they all just brought so much to the table and it was a pleasure to be in the edit rooms with them for so long and to do the last push remotely in these uh, last few months.
0: (laughs) I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that sounds right. Well, uh, congratulations. I look forward to future work from you, Elizabeth Wolfe. All the best to you and, and your whole team. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one.